Welcome to the Burnout Recovery Podcast, a guiding resource dedicated to healthcare professionals on their journey to overcoming burnout. Spearheaded by Dr. Joe Braid, a certified professional coach and rehabilitation physician. This podcast offers practical strategies through expert interviews and personal resilience stories, providing invaluable tools for navigating professional challenges while prioritizing well-being. Regardless of your role in healthcare, this podcast acknowledges the toll of your work on your overall health and is committed to supporting your recovery from burnout and fostering a fulfilling, sustainable career. So if you're ready to begin a transformative journey, join us for each new episode. Together, we'll navigate challenges, celebrate successes, and build a supportive community of healthcare professionals. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Burnout Recovery Podcast. Today, I am delighted to welcome Dr. Roger Sexton as my guest on the podcast. Hi, Roger. Hi, Joe. So, Roger is a fellow Australian based in Adelaide. Yes, yes. And he's got a whole range of different job titles, experience that he's had through his medical career to date, many including being the current chair of the Doctors' Health Alliance. He's been a rural procedural GP for 35 years past chair of the Medical Board of South Australia, past deputy chair of a medical indemnity provider, MEGA, which we have here in Australia. And most recently, he was awarded an AM in 2023 Australia Day honours for his work in doctor's health. So absolute warm welcome to you, Roger. It's great to have you here on the podcast today. Thank you, Joe. Great. And thank you for the invitation to uh, to join you. I think we met in person in Sydney last year at the Organisational Workforce Wellbeing Day with Tate Shanafeld leading the four there. A really yes, great, great day, wasn't it? It was a great day, yeah. Why don't you share with my audience um, maybe what's brought you to where you are today in your career, maybe some of the highlights you've had or what might have been your favourite part of your career to date? I'd love, I'm really curious, would love to know what's stood out for you. Well, as you, as you know, I've been around for a little while, but uh, looking back, you know, I, I always think we grow in steps. We grow personally and professionally at times when there's a, a moment, an incident, uh, mm. an event. Uh, so mm. important looking back. Imagine development is very gradual. It's linear. It's um, angled upwards. Hopefully not with a sort of cannonball trajectory, but certainly onwards and upwards. <laughs> but there are moments in our, all of our lives, I'm sure you've got the same, where things happen and uh, you think, all right, that's, you know, we're, I always think we're, we're billiard balls on the billiard table of life. We're going along in a straight line and something comes and knocks you in a different direction. It happens every day, all the time. But there's certainly a number of incidents that are very, uh, that are very pivotal, uh, and, uh, I've certainly had plenty of those. Of the things I've done in the past, rural general practice of seeing, you know, all the things that the value of a community, the value of um, being connected as a rural doctor to a community mm. was, was an absolute highlight. Uh, living a life in the country and um, being able to support that community in a way that no one else could, but it was, you're always part of a team and part of, um, uh, you know, living in a community was doing more than a doctor. You'd be there to help with um, advocacy for things. You'd be on committees. You'd be joining stuff. It, it's very rich. And I, mm. I, I, I hope the younger graduates in whatever health profession understand the value of that and the, the joy that that brings. Um, but on the other side, you see some pretty bad things, some uh, accidents and, and the like. But I, I guess in terms of the doctor's health side, there was mm. – um, I, I did see colleagues who were struggling. There were – Terrific people, absolutely terrific people, so skilled, broadly trained, um, and, you know, working, uh, very long hours and I think sacrificing, uh, other things in order to keep, uh, working. A very common, uh, ethic and uh, behavior in, in all health professionals, but particularly in rural doctors who, who are, um, a special lot. And, uh, I think then I saw some colleagues who were, who were, who were, Going down, they were they were those who were who were too far, were too hard, gone beyond the point where they recognised themselves that they were unwell mm. and didn't see the warning signs or ignored the feedback from people around them, and just kept on working. Mm. Uh, they had no access to colleagues to a, a, to independent formal healthcare for themselves, mm. and they thought, well, I can, I can treat myself, um, I can do that because you know 
I, I know myself better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these were the doctors, some, some of whom uh, ended up leaving practice. They became sick. They became ill. They often left suddenly. So, and, yeah. and tragically, the old suicide. So, the, mm. the, I thought, oh, these are fantastic people. And one day, w- w- one of them came in to see me in my rooms. Mm-hmm. This is one of these beautiful moments, you see, where. Yep. And he only said, oh, you know, I just want to let you know I've been notified to the medical board. Uh, and it's, um, I think I'm, I got in this position because people like you didn't help me. People like you didn't help me. Very angry. What mm. this? I, I never met this guy before. Uh, and I was being accused of uh, not supporting him. I didn't even know him. I thought, He's basically he was saying, I'm a member of a caring profession, mm-hmm. but that, that profession didn't care for its own. And he sort of walked out and left me with this you know, cognitive dissonance, this thing yeah. about uh, the, the conflicting facts. One, I am a member. I thought, hang on, I am a member of a caring profession, mm-hmm. and I, I, I do care about colleagues. But he was mm. saying, well, you're a member of a caring profession, but you, don't, you didn't care about colleagues. Uh, it was it was kind of a, a dissonance, and uh, I thought, oh damn it, I think he's right. I said, so I thought, look, I, you know, because it, he was described his working day, mm. it was exactly the same way I was working. Exactly, really? it was describing my history. And I thought, God, I could be, I could be, I could go down this pathway mm. quite easily. So that that was a pivotal moment. I thought, right, I've got to do something about it. And then that's when I helped start the uh, a, a rural doctor specific program to help mm-hmm. doctors. And I thought, well, what? This gets the question: What? How do you start a program? How do you start? Well, I think one you define the problem. You, a lot of people think of a good idea, but it doesn't solve any problems. It's mm. the solution without a problem. And yeah, yeah. You've got to have a problem first, and then the solution often is start with the n equals one study, where you 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 think like the person at the centre of that problem, mm-hmm. a real isolated person, a doctor. Um, who's got no help, they're scared, they're fearful of the medical board, they're embarrassed, they're all, all the barriers that are there. Yeah. So basically the, we've designed the program with that in mind and out of that came some terrific initiatives like sending doctors out to see uh, colleagues in their own surgery in remote areas. A fantastic idea that mm. was so powerful. Mm. Having a retreat, a retreat for doctors to come together yeah. on a week, weekend and talk about work and life as yes. a as a doctor, and um, I mean, one of the critical things with that idea was that often doctors had never been asked about that. They graduate medical school, and I think the same is for all health professionals. They go through some pretty rigorous training, mm. and, um, and and enter practice, private or public practice. Mm. Uh, but no one ever says, oh, "Look, how are you? How are you really going? How, how, just tell me about your working week. Mm. Uh, just let me know what you're doing." and um, what are you doing in your personal life? You know, it's like like you you might if you're talking to a very inquisitive, caring friend. Mm. But for other doctors coming to these retreats, they'd never been asked that question. So they were sitting around yeah, a right. table with ten, 10 others, and they would say the question was, "Okay, just go through your training to this point." Mm. And a number of them had come from overseas. Uh, overseas doctors, one of the great. Um, uh, uh, Great things around rural general practice in Australia is about 25, 30% or even more now doctors are from overseas who fill mm. an incredibly important gap we have in our workforce. Yeah. But some of them come out of very difficult situations in, in Asia, in, in Europe, particularly some from North America. And, mm. um, they bring with them, uh, this, uh, these incidents, these moments I was talking about earlier where they, mm. something happened to them. Yeah. And they weren't able to resolve it. There was no one who said, wait, wait, that child who died under your key yesterday, mm. how's, you know, how are you going with that? Mm. You, you just carry on. So these, we absorb these uh, moments and, um, they, they become burdensome. So any opportunity to sit around with a group who understands your world, and you can say, this happened to me. Oh, God, that happened to me too. And mm. you know, it's, it's this sharing and understanding about stories, storytelling with a group of people who understand your world. They know exactly what you're talking about. And I think that's the power of a good, um, a good retreat. So yes. ideas like that I think are super important. Yeah, great. 
I could go on, Joe, but yeah. I reckon I'll, I'll, I'll blow, sure. blow all that, my time. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. That is great to hear. So a real, um, you, you know, the pivotal moment, the billiard ball analogy is great. And um, yes, you could see yeah. something needed to change and and a way to bring people together, not there to prove anything to each other, not in a competitive yep. way that medicine can be so much, so much of the time, inclusive, tools down, let's have a chat. And Yes, no, and it doesn't happen off, often enough. Yeah. yeah. I, have this, I have this metaphor too of a, we all carry a wheelbarrow, an invisible wheelbarrow in front of us. We carry mm-hmm. this bur- the burden of, of our life. It can be personal matters like a, a I might be a troubled teenage child. I might be a drug addict in the family or an alcohol mm. problem or mm. marital problem. But professionally, it can be difficult patients, unresolved grief around deaths of patients and your care, yes. um, trauma of moving country, moving state, moving failing exams. Mm. Uh, these are all burdens, uh, uh, financial debt, um, mm. Medical legal complaints, these are tremendous burdens yeah. that people often don't admit they've got them, but they mm. carry them around invisibly in this wheelbarrow in front of them. And people who, you know, reach a certain point, but they think, oh, I, I can, I can keep doing this, but they're not shedding that burden. They're not offloading it. So more goes in every time mm. they see a patient who asks them to do something. It's another brick, if you like, in that barrow. Yeah. And I think people who eventually surprisingly, uh, say, for example, commit suicide mm. uh, amongst all these other friends at work or colleagues who had no idea that was going to happen, mm-hmm. no idea at all. Mm. It often takes just one little brick to be thrown in there that they think, ah, stuff it, I'm out of here. Yeah. This, I, I can't do it anymore. There's no other option. I can't tell people about this. I can't. I've tried everything. Uh, I just can't do it anymore. I think that's the history often of a suicidal yeah. professional. And, um, you think, and yet people think, I had no idea that was happening. Yes. Did you, yeah. did you, they say, did you know that was happening? No, I had no mm. idea. I, did you not? I had no idea at all. And yet the clues were there because over the years I've observed certainly that doctors and a lot of health professionals are very good actors, mm. very good actors. Mm-hmm. We're trained yeah. to be actors. Yes, I've act- sure. I've acted my way through. Many situations, you know, resuscitating yes. a child in front of the parents, you can't lose it. You have to be calm, mm-hmm. collected and complete. So that's an acting performance like no other. Sure. And I think we, we all learn to be good actors when we're distressed. We don't mm-hmm. show it. And no one around knows that we're feeling this way. So people yes. feel too guilty when someone suicides at work. I think, oh, yeah, we, we didn't even know. Well, it's very hard to pick because doctors are very good actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Our profession asks that of us, that we don't get highly emotional in a charged medical situation, if you see what I mean, oh. a, a sort of a high-risk medical situation or a discussion when a patient is getting or getting inflammatory or something like that. We have to keep our cool then. And then when is the opportunity for us to sort of um, – I would say learn more about our feelings, grow our emotional intelligence more, learn to process those feelings. When when is that? When do we take off the mask or the hat and and have a safe place to to talk it through or to do some exercise to discharge that stress from our bodies as well? Yeah, I think so. True, so true. Mm. But just an example of that. Another billiard ball moment was I was uh, a child came in fitting into the local hospital and. Um, gave it some uh, diazepam, which was a treatment in those days, not now. But mm-hmm. anyway, the child had basically respiratory uh, depression and I had to bag a master baby until the um, retrieval came. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, nurse, the nurse said to me, she said, Roger, if you had lost it, we would have all lost it. All lost it. So there was this, I thought, oh, God, I didn't lose it because I felt yeah. like losing my heart was going so fast. And yes. Uh, but there was that moment where I thought, God, you've got to show leadership. And, mm. and one of those things you think, well, you can't, you, you can't be yourself. You can't react in a, a lay way. You have to act as a professional. And I think mm. what a lot of health professionals and doctors particularly find is that that, that doctor becomes their persona, their yeah. actual real self, mm. probably gets pushed a little bit or minimised to the side. Yeah. And, and becomes everything. So they start to behave like a doctor, you know, in control, um, 
uh, acting away through situations, um, hiding their own distress. Mm. Right. And so you're right when you say, well, you, let's sit down and just bring out yourself again and, um, and, uh, and, and just take your doctor hat off and just talk about yourself. Some doctors find that quite difficult. Yeah. Um, and I can I, relate. I, guess, I was going to say I can relate to the rural thing as well. So we're here in Orange and my husband and I are both doctors here as well. And, um, yeah, sometimes it feels like you you can't be that anonymous in a small town of like 30,000, 40,000 people as well. And I'm sure that's what you experienced in some of your time as a rural GP. And that sort of reinforces keeping that persona on you. And, you know, I don't mind going on holiday quite far away from here sometimes because I really can be my true self yeah. there. Yeah. You've got to mm. do that. And you've got to get out of town. If everybody mm. in any job, you've got to get out of town. Mm. Whether it's the city, you've got to get out of the city. Just yeah. got to go away, yeah. uh, and uh, and not have people asking to do things. Um, yeah, I think that's that's one of the more difficult roles is being part of a community, uh, and and being a professional person. But I mean, the the local priest does it, the mm. teachers, I mean, a lot of professionals yeah. in those towns who are in the same position. Sure. Um, yes. So it's, true. Uh, it's an important thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, talking about those Billy Ball moments, a mm -hmm. few more. Um, you got a few more? Yeah, great. More, but that's they're a all... busy table. Yeah, I mean, not a busy <laughs> table. It's a table that's been active over a few decades, hasn't it? It's been a lot of connections and going yes. on. Yeah. But you do your thing, I'm going to go in this direction. Uh, this is where I'm going in life, and bang, uh, you meet somebody. You know, you meet somebody you're falling in love with. You know, well, that's, that's a huge billiard ball, really. And you know, the kids come along, another billiard ball. You seem to, you, you, you think you're heading in a direction, but really we are subject to a lot of these influences over which we don't have control. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we, well, I guess we, we, we don't react to uncertainty as well. It's nice to have a job that's certain, a job mm -hmm. that's a little bit of predictability, but enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, but often, Medicine provides a lot of uncertainty. It's mm. uh, it's living with uncertainty all the time, and, and um, for some doctors, they are obsessional and very particular about detail. They often find that's quite difficult. They mm. find the uncertainty is quite difficult. They can't. They don't have the time to drill down, get on top of things, document things thoroughly, and do mm. things to the best of their ability. So that's one that sows the seeds for you know, distress and yeah, burnout. Burnout, things like that, too much to do, not enough time, and no, no ability to do the job to your, to your standard. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. And any other, any other bit of your yeah, yeah. moments? Yeah, yeah, I, was, I was in the UK. Yeah, this mm -hmm. is, I, I, it's a, my job is um, uh, on the medical indemnity board and also the medical board, driven by a moment where uh, I saw a it was an obstetric case in the UK, and this eclamptic woman had just delivered. She was heavily sedated, had an epistaxis, and then the um, uh, obstetric registrar ordered his ENT um, colleague registrar to come in who gave her even more sedation to stop the epistaxis, and she had a respiratory arrest and died. And, and essentially, it was a it was a terrible moment because it was the husband was wandering around asking what had happened to his wife and the doctors just sort of you know, everybody scattered nobody wanted to mm. tell him what happened it was, it was the most upsetting mm. moment and so I was left to explain to him what happened and get cognitive dissonance um, you say I think your wife's just been uh, killed by um, you know the overdosing of of, uh, of medication by one of the people who work in this hospital so it was it was one of the most difficult conversations but it brought home many things to me the importance mm. of standards of care and uh, picking hospitals uh, and being accountable for your work and holding others to to be accountable i think that drove me mm. a little bit towards going down the medical regulation and indemnity pathway yeah. and i saw then i think too the contribution of ill health to those situations. That's what mm. I think I've seen a lot is doctors who are very unwell, or they, they you know, the the actors who are hiding uh, emerging problems over time, mm. and it does affect the way they behave. Patients often are at the end of that poor behaviour. Yeah. And if there is a complaint, the mm. doctors who whose lives are totally doctor and they're they've been squeezed to one side, 
a complaint for a doctor who thinks 95% of them as a doctor is devastating. Mm. And mm. the health impacts of a complaint are very significant, sometimes triggering suicide. There's been a study both in the UK and in Australia now that shows there's an association between complaints and suicide. Mm. And, um, you know, that, that, sh- that should never happen. Um, no. So there's there's a lot mm. of work to be done in all that. So, yeah, but, yeah. You know, little billable moments all through life. I'm sure your listeners listening would think, "Yep, I've had a few of those." And mm. We don't we don't grow in in, in gradually grow in sudden steps. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Just some yeah. of the moments anyway. Mm. Yeah, so true. Yeah, yeah. Can definitely relate to that. Yeah, I mean. Where where does it start, start some of the solutions to what we've been discussing here? Because I I see us as generalizing the medical profession as having a stigma around asking for help, and I think now in twenty twenty four things are starting to change, and um, the different generations through medicine now um, also have different um, requests and. Um, sort of decisions or choices that they want to have around their maybe work-life balance. Mm. However, some of the older guard possibly copied what we've seen others do in front of us before, and that's maybe led to the difficulty and the stigma around and the weakness associated with asking for help. So rather than harking back to way back when, let's talk about now and what do you see are for example, some of the solutions to um, either safer workplaces or um, doctors seeking healthcare themselves, some of these um, topics you're, you're passionate about and have been, I guess, working on and around for a number of years. It's a very, a very broad question, but it absolutely <laughs> goes to the nub of it all because mm. um, I, I guess historically, yes, I mean, I've had good and bad role models. Uh, you know, we often refer to role models as the ones who excel clinically, mm-hmm. uh, the best surgeons, the greatest physicians, the um, best general practitioners. I had five very good rural GP role models who forged my choice to go that way. Mm. Um, but we don't talk about those who 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 uh, who also model good self care. Yes, and um, mm. I think that they're the ones I think who. Was probably they're starting to emerge a little bit now to say, well, you know, I I come to work in as good a shape as I possibly can. That that's the that's the step one. Come mm. to work in as good a shape as you possibly can. No one yeah. else can do that except you. That's you. Right. Yes. Don't mm. blame the hospital or the practice. You've got to come to work in pretty good shape. And for again, for a number of doctors, they feel that that's something they can defer. That's something that uh, mm. yeah. wait. Mm-hmm. And you think, what are the things they can do? Well, you know, there's the old SNAPS mnemonic where you've got S for smoking. You know, if, you, if you're smoking, <laughs> just stop it. <laughs> just stop it. <laughs> Don't do it. It's crazy. Mm, yeah. Um, so I think only 3% of doctors smoke and um, who knows why. So, you yeah. know, in the 50s, 1950s, you'd see advertising, the American advertising when mm. cigarettes and doctors were very strongly associated. They yeah. used to use doctors to show how relieving the cigarette smoke was and yeah. the mentholated effects of on, on throat irritation <laughs> goodness extraordinary yeah. Yeah. um and then nutrition is uh, again you know coming to work well fed not overfed or underfed but just mm. modest amounts of really good food uh, often overlooked but so important yeah. yes uh, so important you know if you feed the micro the gut microbiome with good mm-hmm. Good stuff, you know. Generally, you're going to feel better uh, yeah. in, in many ways, physically, mentally. Absolutely. And alcohol. Alcohol. Mm. Um, I think alcohol. Uh, doctors often thought of as drinking more heavily than, the, but they don't. They don't drink more heavily than the rest of the population. Mm-hmm. But the effects on their work, of course, are more more critical because um, we know the effects of alcohol include sleep deprivation, the early morning wakening at three, four in the morning, very mm. common. Mm. So sleep quality is down. It also mobilizes glycogen stores in liver and muscles. So doctors who drink a lot or have alcohol often the night before don't have sufficient glycogen to get through the day. They're the ones who might find mid-afternoon they have a cup of coffee and a sweet biscuit or something sweet to boost Mm. their sugar levels. Very common. You see that all the time. Yeah. Um, 
So uh, alcohol is very, very important, particularly around sleep quality. Mm. And of course, um, physical activity, aerobic fitness, fundamentally Mm. important. Um, You know, I guess those of those of you listening today, you think, well, Mm. are you happy with your level of fitness? Are you not average fitness, but are you above average? You know, there's a fitness range below average. We need to be just there, Mm. above average range. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that means often measuring that with a VO2 max technology, exercise physiologists can show that even the the, the, the certain watches now produced by certain yeah, IT manufacturers. <laughs> I was going to give a pipe. Well, can help with that. Too. Yeah, that's it. Too. So you can get the use of tech. You use tech now to get. Yes. So that's accessible. And then sleep is the other thing. Uh, just getting seven hours sleep at night. That's mm. that's the minimum most people need. Mm. But, but there are a lot of things to disrupt sleep. First is worrying about work. Going to bed, worrying about work. Yeah. And thinking about work. And what people do, they might take work home and sit in front of a computer into the evening, close it up, uh, maybe watch a bit of telly or something, and then go to bed. But basically work is in their head when they go to bed. Yeah. And the second thing is is watching screens, a blue light from screens, phones, computers, and TV is bad for sleep. So that often that's the way people relax after a long day. Mm. Thirdly, uh, of course, is alcohol, the rebound effects of alcohol. Uh, as I mentioned, and caffeine again, early morning mm. wake, three in the morning, caffeine after 10 a.m. in the morning will wake you up, uh, will give you a suboptimal sleep quality yeah. in those early morning hours. And, of course, then the other cause, of course, is depression and mental illness because uh, early morning wake, of course, can be a sign of depression. So mm. sleep mm. problems are most important to have those diagnosed. But they're, they're the sort of basic lifestyle things that some doctors ignore. They just, yeah. we're like a sponge, they absorb stresses and go through and eventually we start to drip. And it's a bit late <laughs> when the sponge starts to drip. Yeah. Mate, mate, you left it too long. Yes, yeah, but yeah. It's about having, um, having attention to those, coming to work in good, in good, good shape. Yeah. And when you do get to work, that's when I think the fun begins for a lot of people, whether it's a practice or a hospital. Mm-hmm. It's often you're going to into a workplace where a lot of other people are, uh, you know, the same. They're, they're mm. not well prepared for work. They're not coming to work mm. in good shape. Mm. Sleep deprived. How common is that in the health professions? Um, poor nutrition. How common is that? Yeah. Excess caffeine during the day. How common is that in EDs sure. or in working night shifts or um, on call? You know, yes. It's so common that we, yeah. we do things that are part of the culture in those places that um, ends up being very counterproductive. Yeah. Um, and I think when people get to work, there's in any organisation, there's a pecking order. Mm. Uh, and people, when they're under stress, uh, revert to the pecking order. Mm. And mm. Um, uh, just for those of you listening, just think, well, how do you behave when you're stressed? You know, do, yeah. do, you give, do you give people a silent treatment? Do you become bossy and directive? Do you start mm-hmm. to? Order, start to order people around. Do you become irritable, snappy? Do you, you know, what, what do you do? Yeah. Um, so for a lot of people, they behave quite differently. So going to a stressed workplace, you'll find some people are bossy, some are withdrawn, mm. some are non-compliant. They mm. give you the silent treatment. Uh, some will just withdraw and head down and and just do their own thing and hope the world will go away. Mm. So that. Or this pecking order emerges where people start to get boss, boss people around. Mm-hmm. And this automatic, you see this automatically turning into a, a, like a bullying potential environment where people, uh, try to gain, regain control of an out of control workplace by being bossy. Yes. Uh-huh. So I'm going to, I'm going to get control over this. Everything is chaos. So I'm going to get bossy and tech. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't do that. You do that. And I think you see that a lot of the time. So yeah. that Workplace is often uh, dysfunctional because of that. Mm. But there are there are other things in workplaces too that we know the um, people who come to work and um, that they need to feel three things to be happy at work. One mm-hmm. is feeling safe, feeling safe. Yep. Come to work safe in their employment, uh, mentally safe from bullying, harassment, victimisation, and the peaking order. 
Mm. Physically safe. They're not going to get beaten up, stabbed, or catch an infectious disease. But mm. so many hazards in medical workplaces, in health workplaces, you know, needle stick injuries and violence and mm. things, um, you know, physical injury particularly uh, is becoming much more common now. Fatigue, you know, crashing your car on the way home from work. Mm. That's, mm. that's, that's really, really important. And uh, for those of you overseas, there's legislation now coming into Australia that the employers are responsible for the well-being of the staff. Yeah. So yeah. that's always been the case. But it's not been legislated. It's been sort of settled in courts. But now it's up to the board of our hospital or the mm. board or organisational managers in an organisation to make sure that the workplace is safe, that's yeah. physically safe. And, um, mm. you know, if an example would be a, 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 an apprentice carpenter who mm -hmm. falls falls off the roof of a hospital, falls off the roof of the hospital and dies as a result of that workplace accident mm -hmm. because safety measures weren't put in place, training wasn't good, orientation wasn't good enough. And this mm. young person, this wonderful young person, you know, has an accident, falls off. And yeah. the, the builder, the employer, the builder of that hospital, the main, they, they, they are held directly responsible for the death of that person. Yeah. When a young doctor, for example, in hospital because of bullying, harassment, overwork, burnout, mm. uh, fatigue, uh, realizes there's no, no hope. They go to the top of the hospital and jump off. No one's held responsible. It's, it's the same situation. Mm. But I mm. think that's, that, that would change. And I think that's, uh, obviously a sentinel moment, a sentinel event in that institution that we should drive. We, cannot let that happen yeah what were the cause what's the root cause of that so the the other sort of changes that are starting to happen i think yeah. in places. the emergence of chief wellness officers you mentioned yes. Tate Shunnerfield, of course yes. who the stanford md program who's i think got tremendous experience and all of his disciples have been filtering back across the world and yeah as as a number have done in australia now mm. um so that's changing the culture so we've got a you, if you provide a, a workplace in which people can excel, they feel mm. safe, yeah, valued and listened to, um, they will give you one hundred and twenty percent. That's right. right. I yeah. mentioned feeling safe. I think feeling valued is the second mm. thing that keeps yeah. people happy. Valued is not just through your pay packet, but through little rewards, little acknowledgement, um, and, and ceremonies that celebrate things and yeah. clinical success and that sort of stuff. And thirdly, uh, listen to. If you've got a good idea, you, you hope that someone will pick it up. If you can yeah. see something that, that would make such a difference to the care of people. So feeling safe, valued, and listened to, I think they're the workplace to bring out the best in people. That's great. That needs to come from the top. Yeah. And the other, I think the other thing that's happening too is uh, mm. accreditation, you know, the power of accrediting mm. hospitals and accrediting training places. It's starting to happen now in Australia. So college GPs have started to do that, but they say mm -hmm. you need to demonstrate if your training doctor is going to this practice or this hospital, you need to demonstrate to us how you're looking after the well-being of that doctor. Great. Okay. You know, so that what a shift that is. That's a little yeah. administrative billiard ball moment. Just sent sent accreditation in down a. It's such an improvement because you know only you have to think of your own experience, Joe, being in. Yeah. Um, different workplaces and that where things might have gone wrong and they didn't see anybody doing anything about it. There's mm. no no higher level. And I think that's that's where the other change. So come to work in good shape. Yes. Uh, the workplaces that create the environment which you excel and have accreditation hanging like the sword of Damocles. So if, you know, you've got to do this or we're yes. going to cut you off. Yes, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so the three-pronged three -pronged approach there. Mm, that's great. That's great. No, really good to hear. So um, I, I guess we've talked through some self-care tips for sustainable doctors with your lovely SNAPS um, uh, anagram, which I'll put in the show notes. Um, that, that sounds really good. Uh, I know in 2023, you hosted the Australasian Doctors Health Conference um, in Adelaide. Yes. I joined that virtually. I didn't get to it in person, but I believe yep. the next one's in uh, 2025. Yes, in Melbourne. That's in right. Melbourne. 
in November? Was in, in November 25, yeah. yeah. It's going to be great. And I think the International Doctors Health Conference is in um, Calgary, no, in, in um, Canada, Canada. Okay. At, at the end of this year too, which is another great gathering of the British, Canadian and American medical associations. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a very good conference. So, yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's going to be a pretty exploding space with so many developments in, in different areas and probably there'll be quite a lot to update on or uh, review what's happened since 2023, uh, even yeah. um, across here in Australia. You're right, changing mm. very, uh, changing rapidly. Mm. Uh, I think acknowledgement is that you can't, you can no longer expect good people, fantastic people, as health mm. professionals mostly are, to go into work and just say, "Look, there you go. There's your workplace. Just do your best. Mm. You know, put up with it." And you think, "Where, where do health professionals work? My goodness, you know." Might be in Antarctica in a Mawson base. Might yes. be in a very remote uh, indigenous community up in the territory. Yes. The food arrives once every two weeks. Yeah. Mm. The, food, the, the local store runs out of food. And mm. um, we're, you know, there's um, natural hazards around. Um, in pri- doctors who work in prisons, mm. um, you know, many workplaces are very difficult. And it's not fair to say to people, look, there you go, walk into that room, there's a prisoner in there and the mm. guard's outside, the mm. guard's outside the door, you're in there opposite the table with the prisoner who, you, who you, you know, wants to see the doctor. Mm. And, you know, is that a safe environment? Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. No. And if that's, these things are accepted as, well, look, just doctor, there you go, just put up with it. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's about bringing out the best Rather than saying, oh, you're getting special treatment, the response is no. If you give me a good working environment, I'll give you 120%. Yeah, yeah. That's the, it's all about what it does to patient care, and that mm. uh, it certainly improves. Whereas if people are under pressure, under stress, subject to a pecking order in a hostile mm. environment, they will withdraw. Yeah. And they will work to rule, and they'll often only give you 80, 90%. Yeah. Because they think, oh, I don't know even why I'm here. I, I, I'm not going to go above and beyond because this place mm. is awful. No one yes. acknowledges me. No one values me. No one listens yeah. to me. I don't yeah. feel safe. No, I'm just going to tread water, buy time, and then get the hell out of here. So mm. that's that's what bad workplaces do. They yeah. drag people down, good people. And and then, you know, it's it's unfortunate because they're not – that they are good people. They just haven't got the right work environment. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it's up to the employers to provide by them. Mm. Uh, I hear sort of an analogy of the prefrontal cortex going offline when you're in a stressful environment. You don't have that wonderfully developed um, human part of our our brains, but we go back like the amygdala's overriding and we're in our fear zone. We're just trying to keep ourselves safe and we're not at the the top of our game. We're not really thinking about the best opportunities or the multiple different differential diagnoses maybe or the the best way we can navigate this. clinical problem we've got in front of us. Uh, we're yeah, just trying to yeah, save ourselves. Great. That's, that's great. That's absolutely great. Mm-hmm. Front to back. And you're right, people's vision narrows, their yeah. focus narrows. So they, 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 they can't be kinder and more generous or giving them time to other things outside their central vision. Their central vision is what they're focused on. So peripheral yeah. things mm. like, oh, can you just do this? No, get away, get away. Uh, some request, no, 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 they get annoyed. They just divert things that come in from the side in order to focus on what's right in front of them. Yeah. Hope with one thing at a time. That's You see that so often. That explains a lot of the behaviour, the pecking order, the yes. bullying, the abuse, the, you know, the, the, the people report. They think, oh, that was a nasty person who bullied. Well, hang on. There's always a reason for the way people behave. There's mm. always. Mm, Someone's yeah. angry, violent, upset. You know, there's always a reason. Don't take the behaviour at face value. Yeah. Mm. Uh, you know, talk to them afterwards and say, wait a minute, how are you going? And mm. look, I can do a bit of pressure. Too right I am, you see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just, you know, often these are good people. Yeah. Good people can be made to turn into grumpy, horrible colleagues. Yes, yeah. It's not they're bad people, they're under pressure. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. 
Sarah, we've had a good chat around um, self-care practices and what doctors can do there. And there's an amazing conference in a while that we're excited about too. What would be some of the middle ground you might be aware of where, you know, I think community is so important. I think like-minded folk to talk to, um, to connect with. Where would you suggest a doctor who is, yeah, looking looking for a sounding board or a listening ear or something maybe outside of the workplace, would there be any suggestions for Australian um, healthcare professionals to go to who could who they could speak to? What's on offer at the moment, please? Well, um, I think it's important that they speak to someone who understands their world. Mm, yeah. Uh, so I think someone who, if, you, if you're in an emergency department of a big tertiary hospital mm. uh, doing shift work, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty special job. You're working in a prison, uh, a female doctor working in a prison, a male prison. That's mm. a pretty, uh, you know, that's an unusual workplace. So yeah. got, I think people you're talking to need to understand a little bit. Of, so I think a, a, a trained professional who, who understands uh, the world with the person in front of them is important. Mm. Uh, and so uh, a, a colleague, for example, a doctor who understands, talking to a doctor or mm. um, Psychologists are often very well trained, or a peer group, a group mm. of your peers, like we described with a retreat. Yes. Um, a friend of mine, he's a surgeon, who says that they, he's formed a group of a peer support. They go to dinner mm-hmm. every month. Yep. Um, and also their partners have a separate dinner every okay. month. Okay. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, they go to a restaurant and they have an, a meeting with an agenda, which mm. is, you know, uh, work, life, uh, any complaints, medical legal matters, it's quite a, it's, it's an agenda meeting. Mm. Mm. So it's absolutely wonderful. They, um, they, they know they can debrief with these people, um, shadow mouse rules. They, um, they, and they find that extremely good. It's, yeah. it's an unusual model, but it's something I think we could all look at. I think Pete Shanafelt referenced that as evidence in a in a AB trial that he tried trialed yes. out. He said you either yes. got extra admin time or you've got a paid for dinner once per month, and the latter group did better in terms of well being than extra admin time. Great, I remember that now. But you're right. This well, that's an example where this group would work out their own solution. Yeah, it does make sense. And you think. You know, I mean, who do you like talking to in your private life? It's generally people who you get on with, who understand mm. you, have a similar outlook, a similar sense of humour, mm. and you can generally say what you like to them. You know, you yes. don't want to be the best friends we've all got are those we can be ourselves. Mm. Uh, just say what you like, and they don't judge you. Or, yeah. But I think a lot of people um, you know, don't have someone like that. So having in professional life, having a group like that is very important. Mm. But otherwise, if you look for a more formal pathway, all, all the states and territories in Australia have a doctor's health program. Yeah, great. It's a 24-7 phone number associated with each state service where mm. you will speak to a doctor, a very experienced doctor who, yeah. who can do the, the Bush crisis line for rural is available across Australia, and that's um, uh, also for all, all health professionals in the Bush. Uh, okay. And we can have three psychology sessions over that service. Very Great. good service. There's Great. also another uh, counselling line, um, the doctor's uh, health services um, phone number, which we, we don't speak to a doctor, but you do speak to a counsellor. And, mm. and uh, for, for, I think that serves a very good purpose too. So there's a choice Great. of those numbers you can ring. Yeah, good. Uh, otherwise, the face-to-face contact through your through your GP, I think, mm. is the best way. A lot of GPs are great people to talk to. Uh, they can also connect you with a wider health system, mm. uh, a, a link to a psychologist, and I think that's important. Because I mean, it's a, it's a good point you raise, there, Joe. Because for some doctors and health professionals, they may enter the profession with certain expectations, with certain motivators that say, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm doing nursing, I'm doing medicine, I'm doing um, psychology or f- uh, physiotherapy mm. because I, I want to make a difference. I want to help mm. people. I've, I want to right a wrong. I've, I had a great role model, a great family doctor, for example. There are many, many different motivators. And as you go through life, those motivations can change. They can come under influence. They can be buried in the early, early of life. Mm. So things like... Um, 
debt and, and family matters and um, running the business side of a practice, like they can be more predominant and it's not necessarily what people want to do. And so having the opportunity to talk about those motivators and mm. also where your, where your um, direction will lie is, is very good to talk with a trained person. Yeah. But I've just mentioned, maybe think, mentioning Tate Shanafield. One other mm. thing I think he said was really important was in terms of burnout and people who are working very hard uh, and they're losing their motivation, becoming cynical, they're losing their motivation. Mm -hmm. They start to see patients as objects. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're just lacking in empathy and fatigue and all those domains of burnout. Mm. He said, if you're working, you're working weak contains less than 20% of what you really love, mm -hmm. your risk of burnout is very high. It is, yeah. Mm. We see a lot of people in professional life who might say they love patient consulting and they love a bit of research. That's what they love. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't like teaching and they don't like administration. Uh, they have a bit of college work. So in one of those five years, working for the college on a committee, mm -hmm. teaching, administration, research and clinical work. Yep. Um, and you say to people, what's your ideal working week? They say, oh, I'd love to do uh, research and teaching mm. uh, at least half the time, at least half the time I'd love to do that, and then the other half I can do clinical work. Mm. You say, well, what is your current work like? Yeah. Oh, it's 80% admin, 20% clinical, no no research, no teaching. Right. Yeah. There, there you got a really unhappy person who's, yeah. who's working in the wrong job. They're yes. basically working in the wrong job. And you're expected to do that forever. Mm. So I think looking at your working week yeah, is a great thing. And that's something you can talk to with your peer group or with your uh, professional support to say, you know, this is how I'm working, but I, I, I'm not happy. I, I hate mm. it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. Well, what do you want to do? You say, sure. Straightforward question. So that, yes. that's the sort of um, billiard ball moment where the professional sends you, can send your career in a slightly different direction. Yeah. Great. Uh, yeah, you might drop your pay, but you know, you're a lot happier. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah, good. So, okay, we've covered a lot of different things here. That has well, been we have we have a very a very interesting discussion with a lot of takeaways that the individual can can use on their own, um, as well as what they might choose to bring into the workplace and. Um, discuss in the workplace or again as you said outside of the workplace but with colleagues who get them and, mm. and get what what training has been like and what work uh, is like now mm. i always ask my guests about a self-care practice that you rarely miss what works for you uh music music okay music, yeah music, music. i heard uh, what, two 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 billable moments for me one is i was in um 12-year-old in high school, just out of high school, and the teacher said, uh, I'm running a guitar, a guitar class in the woodwork room at lunchtime. Do you want to come along? You know, just who wants to come along? Can you come on? Mm. Anyway, walked into that room and he had three of his guitars there, picked one up, just fell in love with it immediately. I thought, it's like a love affair straight away. Yeah, right. So I've been, I've been playing guitar ever since and um, mm. hugely important. And then when I was in the UK, working in a very busy obstetric hospital and um, very long hours, very long hours. And uh, after three months, because I, I didn't have much there, work took up a lot of time. I thought, there's something missing here, mm, <laughs> something <yeah>. missing. <laughs> and uh, I bought a little radio and uh, transistor, tranny, we call them, mm -hmm. and uh, turn on BBC4, I think it was, something like that. Anyway, yep. the police were playing, sting yeah, the right. police. Mm -hmm. thought, Great. Ah. Oh, who are these blacks? They're intellectual punks. They were great. I thought <laughs> this, I'd realised then it was music I'd been missing, music mm. I'd been missing. I'm mm. a fan of Sting ever since. But um, I realised then, no, it was music. So both of those taught me the importance of music and I've been doing it ever since. So playing, I just uh, recorded an album, my first album. with a, a mate. Oh, wow. Called Life. Um, it was such fun. It was huge fun. So any, anybody listening who plays an instrument, mm. the best fun is to get together with a, someone or a few others and yep. just record something. It is such fun. And you don't think about anything else. It's totally meditational, totally endorphin generating, totally fun, fun, fun. So mm. 
Uh, I think music is very important. A lot, a lot of health professional people, particularly doctors, are musical. Oh yeah, but they yeah. put they put their violin or their piano aside. Mm. Mm. No, uh, it's it's one of the things that sustains us. So uh, critical. I don't know whether you play an instrument. Do I do. Play? Yeah, yeah. I I play a few, yeah. but violin's been my main instrument, and I did pick yeah, it up it. again a few years ago and played in a quartet that was non medical and good and and really great. And my husband plays a piano and. Uh, we have a lovely piano downstairs, and Fabulous. the, kid, the yeah. kids are pretty musical as well. So yeah, it's around the house. It's it, yeah. it's so, in the airwaves. It's just beautiful. It's really good. Mm. It's a mm. life. It's a life gift for your kids, and uh, I think. But again, it's one of these things that uh, professional life can push aside. You know, yes. professional life will squeeze out mm. everything if you let it. Mm. Good diet, music, you know, creative interests. Contact with nature, you know, yes. contact with nature is so critical to our well-being. Yes. And COVID, when the lockdowns denied many people contact with nature. Mm. Mm. Um, but, you know, music thrived in that. And I was um, used to the, the Doobie Brothers, who I also uh, – they did a, a, a sort of hybrid event of some of their songs. Fantastic. And they had so many hundred thousand followers or something just providing – bringing music into the home that was yeah. otherwise – to them. So Wonderful. many, many um, examples of the power of music. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Great, so, great. Yeah. Well, many congratulations on your first album. Let's see um, what else you're going to turn out over the years to come. Second album. Second album, exactly. Start with that. Working that sounds great. Working, working <laughs> on it now. <laughs> okay, I would love to hear um, some of that at the Doctors' Health Conference next year. Yep. That'd be yeah, great. Let's have a mu- yeah, we'll have a muso session there. Okay, so the resources as to where right. people can find you is generally through the doctorshealthalliance.com.au yes. or doctorshealthsa.com.au? Correct, correct, yes. Mm. And very happy to correspond with anybody who wants to have any further information. But I think the principles of self-care are pretty universal. Mm. Coming to work in as good a shape as you can, having a life outside of work, which is – uh, where your relationships are good, where you've got a creative interest, where you've got mm. contact with nature, uh, where you've got friends, non-work friends. Yes. Uh, where you laugh your head off. You know, you've got to laugh your head off Yeah. as often as you can. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and exercise, the fundamental lifestyle of yeah. good nutrition and exercise. Mm. Exercise is the key. Of all the things I mentioned, Yeah. Uh, uh, fitness is probably the most yeah. significant of them. Yes, for sure. On that note, let's get out of these seats. I'm going to go in the garden and kick a ball around with the kids. Um, they're still on school break. So thank you for your time today. Uh, Roger, I hope you've got some time to move this afternoon as well. So I've just, I'll just get my Gibson guitar off the wall here. So there we go. Awesome. <laughs> love it. Love it. Okay. So great to connect with you. Thank you very yep. much for your time. Okay, I appreciate all the wisdom you've shared with my audience. Cheers. Pleasure, Joe. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Burnout Recovery Podcast. If there's someone in your world who would also benefit from this, please share it with them. Remember, you're not alone and there is hope for a brighter, more fulfilling future. Let's continue this journey together one episode at a time. For more resources, including how to move from dread to delight, head to drjoebraid.com.